0: When I was a young man, I thought that my life was kind of going to be this gradual upward line, this gradual upward slope. You know, I'd, I'd meet somebody, maybe I'd fall in love, maybe I'd get married, I'd get a job, I'd start a career, I'd go from an apartment to a house, maybe I'd even own a car of my very own. Over time, I would get more income and more freedom, and life would just get better and better. That's not how life worked out. That's not how my life looks at all. My life looks more like this lady's life map. I've had times in my life where it's gone up, 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 like a roller coaster, and then... I've had parts of my life that have gone at warp speed and then I've had parts of my life that have gone excruciatingly slow oh and life let me tell you has had a whole lot of gomer pile to it surprise 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 and sometimes the surprises have been good and sometimes the surprises have driven me to tears Adults, am I making this up? No. Is this how life works? Yes. So younger people, if I could talk to you for a moment, if you're here today and you're 15 or 16 years old, this, this is your life. (laughs) It's going to have really awesome moments. It's going to have really stinky moments. Sometimes those moments will coincide at the same time. you'll have parts of your life that go really fast and parts of your life that go really slow, okay? And that's just how life works. Today, I want to remind you that how you think about the future matters. How you think about the future matters. It affects the decisions that you make today, and it affects how you feel and the attitudes that you have. How you conceive of the future. Um, by way of reminder, we're in this letter to the Ephesians. And at the heart of the letter that Paul's writing, this is the Apostle Paul, is this apocalypse. He has been apocalypsed, meaning what was hidden to Paul has been revealed. And that apocalypse is the true identity of Jesus Christ. On his way to Damascus, Paul thought Jesus was just this upstart rabbi that was messing things up, and then he encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he had that holy cow moment, Batman, where he was like, you're the Messiah, you're the King of Kings, and it changed everything. The other thing I want to remind you, because you're Americans and you're just like me, when you read the Bible and you come across the word you, you think of you, just you, right? So when Paul's writing and he says, you're chosen, you're blessed, you have an inheritance, you're like me and you're like, I'm chosen and I'm blessed and I have an inheritance. And while that's true, (laughs) what Paul is really saying is all y'all, all all y'all, all all y'all are chosen, all y'all are blessed, all y'all have this rich inheritance in Christ, all y'all who are in Christ, okay? So We're going to be in the second part of the first chapter, so I'm going to read these verses, and I'm just going to talk about three things in these verses, okay? Verse 15 of of chapter 1 in Ephesians. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in that place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Okay? So I want to start at the end of this little section and we're going to work our way back. Okay. In Ephesians 1:21, Paul says this. Now he. The he here is Jesus. Now Jesus is far above any ruler. Or authority or power. Or leader or anything on else. Right. Not only in this world. But also in the world to come. Now there's a word there. And it's actually this word. The NIV gets a little bit better. In this age. And the age to come. This age and the age to come. Paul's talking about how we think about the future. And so for Jews, they thought of history as having two parts. Okay, two parts. Now and later. (laughs) This age and the age to come. Now this age now is characterized by things like Evil and sin and death and slavery to the powers, big concept. We'll get into that in a few weeks. Violence and the curse, meaning the effects of Adam and Eve and humanity's rebellion against God. There will come a point, the Jews thought, and they called it the great day of the Lord. And on the day of the Lord, the Messiah will show up and usher in the age to come. And the age to come will be characterized by justice and love. Eternal life, freedom, shalom, which is peace, but also wholeness and blessing. So we see this in a number of scriptures, Jeremiah 31. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, right? The age to come. I will be their God. They'll be my people. They won't need to teach their neighbors. They won't need to teach their relatives. Everyone will know me ezekiel 36 i'll give you a new heart i'll put a new spirit in you and i'll put my spirit in you so that you'll be careful to follow my decrees and joel after doing those things i'll pour out my spirit upon all people okay your young men will see visions in those days right the age to come so when jesus comes along jesus talks about the future in the same way this age and the age to come. Now and later. And he says things like anyone who speaks against the son of man can be forgiven but anyone who speaks against the holy spirit will never be forgiven. Are you catching this? Either in this world or in the world to come. This age or the age to come. In Mark 10, Jesus says this. I assure you everyone who's given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and the good news will receive now now. In return, a hundred times as many, along with persecution. But in the world to come, that person will have eternal life, now and later. And then in Matthew 13, the harvest is the end of the world, the end of this age. That's when the harvest takes place. So Jesus has this same Jewish notion of now and later, this age and the age to come. But he kind of makes an unusual claim. And that's found in Luke chapter 4. Let me see if I can get there right quick as we say in the south. Luke chapter 4. So he's gone to his hometown and he reads this prophecy from Isaiah. And he says this. He's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So the Jews hearing the scripture, they're thinking what? The age to come. Jesus rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendants, sat down. All the eyes in the synagogue were upon him. And then Jesus said, The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. What? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. What? Jesus is saying the later is bursting in right now, and I'm part of what's happening, okay? So let's kind of get into that. Paul draws this out in this part of Ephesians, okay? This age and the one to come. Now, Paul understands that something has happened because of Jesus. So those two ages actually get compressed into each other so now now you have age to come stuff the later stuff that's happening now mixed in with the now stuff which is the drag stuff the curse the violence the all of the bad things slavery to the powers but then you also have justice and love and freedom and shalom and blessing and so you and i just like the mall maps of the 1990s you and i are here in this in-between time, okay? We've got this age stuff going on, and we've got age-to-come stuff going on. The way that theologians like to talk about it is the age-to-come has been inaugurated with Jesus, and we're waiting for his return when it will be consummated. So if you've ever read the end of Matthew, and you've heard Jesus talk about all those wedding things, you know, the bridegroom and then the bridesmaids waiting with their lamps and all that weird stuff. And he's talking about the future. This is what he's talking about. In a Jewish wedding, a man and a woman get engaged. That's the inauguration of their wedding. And then on their wedding day, it's consummated. And Jesus is saying there's this in-between time and his return is the consummation of the age to come. Okay, so I'm going to draw out what this means for you and me, but how we think about the future matters, particularly how all y'all, all of us who are followers of Jesus, think about the future. It matters. It matters. Okay, so let's back up a little bit, and that's verses 18 to 20. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand this confident hope He's given to those he's called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. Paul's drawing out three things he wants them to know. Their hope, their worth, and their power. And he's saying, you have a hope. The age to come, which is breaking in right now, Jesus will come back and his resurrection is going to be your resurrection. You have a hope in a future. Now, because you and I are Americans, that smacks up against what America says. America says, man, Carol, come on. You only get one go at this, right? Don't squander it. Don't waste it on some husband's not going to love you. Like, you got to grab it. You got to go all you can in this life because this is the only shot you get. But God would say to those of us who are in Christ, this isn't all you get. In a very real sense, you get a second life, the resurrection life, which is awaiting, right? So you have something that you're hoping in and your hope's not misplaced. Paul also says he wants you to understand your worth. That's all y'all again. And that's this phrase, his rich and glorious inheritance. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, those two words were used to describe the silver and gold that kings would hoard in a treasure room. Their glorious inheritance. (laughs) It's the same phrase used of Hezekiah with all the shields that he had hidden in a treasure room. And what Paul is saying is God looks at his people, his family, all who are in Christ Jesus, and God sees his glorious inheritance. In other words, according to God, all y'all who are in Christ, that's God's treasure. That's pretty cool. And then Paul harps on this same mighty power. And Paul is saying that the resurrection power that rose Jesus from the dead is available to you now here now for some of us who did not grow up pentecostal this is news (laughs) (laughs) this is news what yes god actually is saying this paul is saying this this resurrection power is available to you right here right now that's this oida oida i want you to understand now We hear this as Americans. We read that word and we think of math and geometry. I want you to understand what X is. Why do I need to know the value of X? Stop it. You're hurting my brain. Okay. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Okay. OIDA is experiential knowledge. Now, uh, Mike LeSage, last fall, I stained two decks off my back deck. And I can remember sometimes, about five, 10 years ago, you saying some things to me like, now you got to be careful what you do and, you know, knee pads and stuff like that. I didn't wear no knee pads because I'm young in my brain. I didn't need no knee pads. But this fall, I had an oida of all the things I've heard Michael Sage talk about over the years. I now experienced it in my body and I need knee pads. This is, the, this is when I'm staining decks, I need to wear knee pads or I'm going to be, uh, you know, walking around like, a, you know, I've injured myself. This is the same word when uh, a man and a woman get married and Jim knows Susan. This is experiential knowledge, okay? And Paul is saying, I want you to oida the power of the resurrection. I want you to experience it in your body, in your life, okay? So let's back all the way up to the first part where he says, I'm asking God, the glorious father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight. This isn't just God, the father of Israel. This isn't God, the father of Abraham. This is God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's making a claim and he's saying all of us who are in Christ Jesus can call God Abba, father. Because of everything Jesus gets, we get because we're with him. Okay? So now I want to unpack this, okay, okay, for you. And first, I want to ask a few questions. Have you experienced the reality of this present age in your life? That would be curse, (coughs) death, (coughs) broken relationships. It would be that kind of stuff. Have you experienced this, the reality of this present life? Yeah, yeah, you have. This present age, yes. (coughs) Have you tended to see the power of the resurrection in your life or have you tended to see it as something that's a one-day, someday thing only? And if it's just a one-day, someday thing only, I want to challenge you to hang with me over the next several weeks because it's not just something down the road. It's something here and now, okay? And the last question is simply this. To what extent... Do you tend to live your life, that should say live your life, man, the guy who wrote these slides, you, what, to what extent do you tend to live your life in your own strength or power, in your own strength or power, okay? So eschatology, that's really what this is, eschatology is just a fancy theological word for what you think about the future, okay? What you think about the future and how you think about the future matters, Now, for a long time now in America, American Protestants have talked about the future this way. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you that the Lord said He's going to destroy the earth someday. It's all going to burn, right? It's all going to burn. And if that's the future and God's just going to nuke everything, what incentive do you have to change anything? Do you, right? If the first century Christians Believe the same eschatology that we American Christians have believed for the past 50 years, they would have been busy about getting everybody saved. And when somebody said something like, you're not going to believe this, Christian, but people are leaving their babies in trash heaps. Listen, I just need to get people saved. That's not my concern. That's not any of my things. You know, I can't worry about the babies right now. I'm just trying to get people saved so that they can escape the destruction. See how this plays out? <laughs> so eschatology matters. In fact, the earliest followers of Jesus understood that this age and the age to come had been smashed together and that God was doing something amazing in the midst of that. And that's why they went through the trash heaps of the Roman empire and picked up babies that had been discarded and left to die by their parents who didn't want them and adopted them into their own families because they knew God was doing something. They changed the Roman empire By the way, this is what the American political left and the American political right get wrong. They have an erroneous view of the future. Both the political left in America and the political right in America say, it's just this gradual upward slope, and if you put us in charge on the left, we're going to make sure that all these oppressed and marginalized groups get some justice. And we're going to tax the rich and make the rich pay for everything. And if you put us in charge, it's just going to get better for everybody. We're going to make it better. And on the right, they say the same thing. They just have different ways to get there. If you put us in charge, we're going to lower taxes for everybody. And we're going to get government out of the way because government's the problem. And over time, it's just going to make it better for everybody. See how this works? (laughs) But those of us who follow Jesus know that There's two parts to history, (laughs) and there's this pattern that continually repeats itself. And so we can look at that and go, y'all are crazy if you think that that's going to make things better. So if I could wrap things up about eschatology and about some things Paul is wanting us to see and understand and know, it has to do in particular with this knowing the power of the resurrection. I've been a pastor now long enough that I've done this the wrong way too many times. I've tried to pastor in my own strength. I've tried to pastor in my own power. I've tried to use a compelling vision, an amazing strategy. I've tried to use the right kind of marketing things. And none of those things are bad, but the American church has kind of relied on all of this stuff instead of the power of the resurrection, which is why the American church doesn't seem to have any power. Are you with me? In China, the church has a lot of power because God's power is displayed through the weakness of Chinese pastors and through their suffering and persecution. I know what this is only because I married Jenny, right? I got a front row seat to this. Jenny's pastor growing up was a man named uh, Pastor Dick Woodward. And, and Dick Woodward went from a church of 1,000, and then he took a church of 200. You know, what every pastor does. <laughs> yeah. And then when he took that church of 200, he lost the mobility of his legs. And for a long time, they thought he had MS. And as it turns out, he had a nerve disorder. And over time, not only could he not move his legs, but then he couldn't move his arms. And so he had this mechanized wheelchair and it would come from the back of the sanctuary and it would come up to the stage (laughs) get in place. And that man could not move his arms and he could not move his legs and he would just preach the Bible. And he would quote at length passages from the Gospels, the Old Testament and Paul. And there was power in that room. This guy couldn't even move his legs or his arms. That's the power of the resurrection. So again, how you think of the future matters. And so today I just wanted to kind of poke the bear, so to speak, a little bit and see if I could get you to think about the future in some new ways or different ways. If you want to have coffee this week, I'd love to talk to you.